0: City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 1211 First Avenue North on the third floor. Last night I had the privilege of attending a a baby shower, Uh, and it was sort of a a Jack and Jill baby shower. It was guys and girls, and of course I did what anybody in their right mind would do is I hid by the grill. Um... But once I came upstairs and, and saw all that was going on, I saw that there was a game that was being played for this baby shower. And I thought it was a pretty fun and creative game. They had taken pictures of the mom and the dad uh, and laid them out. And you would cut up those pictures of the mom and dad and piece together a face of what you thought this baby would look like. And in this case, it was two couples, the babies, right? And, and let me tell you what. I, I saw those and I prayed diligently, to God, these babies would not turn out like these pictures. Uh, because while they were a lot of fun to look at, they were hideous. It was awful. And yet it, it gets at something that we all know, right? That, that our children often look like their parents. You often look like your mom and dad. My, my parents have been carrying around a picture they got from a relative all week of me at about 10, and showing it to people going, look, look, here's Justin, which is moderately embarrassing. Uh, but, but more so, the point of it is, look, which of the boys does this look like? Does this look more like Connor, or does this more, look more like Elliot? Right? Why? Because kids look like their parents. This is something we all understand, this is something we all know to be true. Uh, here's what's interesting church plants end up looking a lot like their pastors. For the good and for bad, church plants look a lot like their pastors. And I think that one of the things, one of the ways that I have seen this at work in my life is that one of my weakest areas in my Christian life is prayer. I don't pray like I should. I don't pray as often or as hard as I should. It's just not something um, that I'm great at. And what's interesting is is that plays out in a number of ways into the life of our church. Uh, That we don't have a focus on prayer as great as we should as a church. And so as I work on this in my life, this fall, we are going to all work on this together as a church. We're going to do this in a number of ways. One, um, we're going to have an evening uh, of prayer and worship, an evening set aside uh, just to pray and to worship. Uh, we're going to have a month of prayer and fasting uh, from middle of September until the middle of October. Uh, but the big thing is, one of the bigger things we're going to do is we're going to start studying the Lord's Prayer. Uh, starting the weekend after Labor Day, we're going to walk through line by line the Lord's Prayer. It's interesting that when Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer, it was in response to something his disciples said. His disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus didn't look down at them. He didn't say, you should know this by now. He wasn't condescending. He said, okay, here you go. I'll teach you how to pray. But before we get to that, I want to look at a couple other things Jesus had to say about prayer. I want to look at a couple of parables this week and next week that Jesus taught to help us understand more and more about prayer. Because in in a lot of ways, prayer is a window into our soul, prayer and the way that you pray is a way for you to look at what the state of your soul is. I think one of the things that we see it is if we look at our prayers, as we look at the way that we approach God, we oftentimes approach Him as if He is withholding. If we think about our prayers and the way that we pray to God, it's almost if like we're praying to somebody that we don't expect to give us something. And we pray as if we're the ones who deserve God's blessing. So it's interesting as we read these two parables about prayer that that's exactly what Jesus is going to do. Uh, so in just a second, I'm going to read the first 14 verses of Luke chapter 18. I'd ask you to stand as I do that and let's see what God has to say about prayer this morning. And he told them a parable to the effect that they always that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary.'" he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He also told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector, The Pharisee standing by himself. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be be exalted. City Church, this is the Word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago, but intended for us this morning. You may be saved. So as we begin to look at prayer, Jesus tells us two parables. And these parables, in some ways, seem like they're disconnected. You have the parable of the widow and the unjust judge. And you have the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. But as we look at these two parables, Jesus is teaching us a whole lot about prayer. And that first... What's great about these two parables is both of them are pretty easy to understand. They're they're pretty simple pictures to paint, right? In the first story, there is a widow who was sort of the, the lowest class of citizen in Israel. They were somebody who could not provide for themselves, who needed a husband in order to secure their place in the city. Uh, and they didn't have that. And so she was looking for justice and could not get it. And there was a judge who was not at all interested in giving her justice. He was fine. He didn't care what anybody thought about him. He didn't care what God thought about him. He was just going about his life yet, what does the widow do? She bothers her. Right? Every day, give me justice. Every day, give me justice. Every morning, justice. Every evening, justice. This is not something I understand that is uh, a reasonably, reasonably well accepted law practice. I think that our Stetson students could tell us that if you did this to a judge, you should not expect a favorable judgment. And yet here she came every morning again, and the judge says, uh, "It says uh, that she didn't, that she won't beat me down." But but really, what she, she's saying is, she, she's going to give me a black eye. She is going to bother me to death. So fine, fine. Here's justice. Here I will judge in your case. I will rule in your favor. Now this begs a pretty important question: What's Jesus? getting at in this parable. What's Jesus trying to teach us? I mean, we, we understand the story, the story of this, this widow who bothers the judge to the point where he gives her what he wants. So is the story, is the moral of the story, is what Jesus is trying to teach us, we should just bother God until he gives us whatever he wants. Well, I, that doesn't seem... <laughs> right? Some people like that. I, I mean, we do like that idea, right? Like, if, uh, if I could just bother God enough, he'll give me whatever I want. No, that doesn't seem right. For one thing, did you catch when Jesus explains the parable? Did he say that that God's going to give us whatever we want? No, he says he's going to give justice. But you know what else? We oftentimes look at this and say, oh, well, maybe this is just God saying we need to be praying the same thing over and over. Just pray the same thing over and over, pray the same thing over and over, and then God will take care of you. But Jesus says in another place, "Don't, when you pray, don't just repeat yourself like the heathens. So what's going on here? What's this parable really all about? This parable is teaching us about the astonishing persistence of trusting. Just gotten done talking about the fact that our lives as Christians are not always going to go. Easy. Your life is not always going to be cupcakes and baby showers. It's not always going to be rainbows and sprinkles. Things are going to happen in your life that are difficult. I don't have to tell you this, you know this. If you've lived on this planet for more than six or seven years, probably understand that life is not always going to go exactly the way you want and exactly the way that you plan. So when things are difficult, are you going to persist in trusting in God's goodness? When things are difficult, when things look like they will never shake out in your favor, are you going to give up? Or like this widow asking for justice, are you going to persist? Are you going to keep going? See, Jesus tells us this story because you and I as humans have a tendency when the going gets tough, you walk away. When things are difficult, it shakes our trust in God. When we can't see what God is doing, we become walk away. We'd say things like this. Things are going so poorly, God is never going to bring justice to I guess God just wants me to suffer. That can be the only solution to this. God just wants me to suffer. If God is good, why is this happening? God just must not care about You see, what all of those questions point to is the fact that whenever difficulty comes into our lives, we're, we are quick to pull the grip for it and trust it. Because I don't how, how can I trust God if everything in my life is not perfect? How can I trust God if everything in my life is just not very nice? don't trust in Him. Because at the end of the day, what we want from God is not justice. What we want from God is not His presence. What we want from God are benefits. We want the stuff that God can give us, not God Himself. I'm more interested in what Jesus can do for me and my life today than I am in what He can do for my soul. heart. And so any time I am not getting all of the benefits that I think I deserve, I turn around and am frustrated with Him. God, why, why don't you give me whatever I want? God, why isn't my life easy? And then we also turn around and look at other people and go, see, because theirs is God, why can't you give me that person's life? Their life is fun. My life is hard. God, where are you at? This is something that happens, and what it's showing us is that we think that God is holding back. We think that God is not good, and he's holding back the goodness, and he's not giving it to us for whatever reason our imagination creates God says, no, what I'm interested in is justice. What I'm interested in is righteousness. We just want to stop God. Us. And when He doesn't give it to us, we create a plan. Our human hearts have this pattern where we create a plan. And if God's not going to give me His blessing, here's what I'm going to do I'm going to pry it out of His hands. How am I going to pry the blessings of God out of his hands? Ah, I know. I will do all the right things. And then God will be forced to bless me. If if I just get my house in order, if I just get my life in order, if I just stop sinning, if I just stop doing all this stuff, then God will have to bless me. Then he will really give me all of those things that I want. He'll give me all of those benefits. I'm glad your heart thinks that way because Jesus answers that exact thing in the second parable. Remember? He says that there were two people that went up to the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee, had his house in order. And how does the Pharisee pray? God, thank you that I am awesome. Thank you that I do the right thing. Thank you that I'm not like those people. Thank you, God, that my Instagram is not filled with shenanigans like everyone else in my feed. God, thank you that I don't act like my boss. God, thank you so much that I don't live like my neighbors. God, thank you that I'm just a better person than the rest of them. Amen. More or less, that's what he says. And you say, oh, I'm glad I don't pray. I'm glad I don't believe that. I'm glad that's other people. You see what you're doing when you throw shade at the Pharisee, you're doing the exact same thing the Pharisee is doing. Do you see? You see what you're doing there? And let's be honest, we do this more than we care to admit. When you pull open your phone and you scroll through everybody else's Saturday night, how many times do you look at that friend from high school and go, glad I'm not that person doing those things? glad those aren't my kids on Instagram, glad that I'm better than them, we're quick to think that we have not together. And what's interesting is, the only thing that the Pharisee says about God is addressing his He doesn't say, God, thank you for for protecting me from adultery. He says, God, thank you that I'm not an adulterer. He doesn't say, God, thank you for giving me a generosity of spirit so that I can tithe. He says, God, thank you that I tithe on everything. He's holding up his goodness and saying, God, look at this. Bless me. Look what I've done. You have to accept this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jesus says we are asking for God to humble us. You want God to humble you? Remind them of how good you think you're doing. You want God to humble you. Hold up your good works, Righteousness that is apart from God. The Pharisees' goodness, the Pharisees' good works have nothing to do with God. They have everything to do with himself, with building his brand, with making sure he sleeps well at night because he feels good about all the things that he did. It's nothing to do with God. It's nothing to do with Jesus. It's entirely apart from that. You see, what's interesting is our culture constantly tells us that what Christianity says is be a good person, right? When people hear what I do for a living, they assume that what I do is stand here every week and say, go be better people. And when I see you swearing at the gym, I say, ah, 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 naughty words, language. When I I see you do something wrong, I'm like a school mom, right, shaking my finger, be good people, be good people naughty because that's what they think Christianity teaches they think Christianity teaches be good guess what this Pharisee was good he followed all the rules and Jesus said he was completely apart from God because Christianity is not about be good it's about something else thankfully Jesus shows us that something else in the tax collector. The tax collector is not somebody who everybody would say was a good guy. The tax collector is an extortionist. He's a bad guy. And he's standing in the back of the temple saying, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. He doesn't say, God, I promise I'll change. God, I'll fix all that I've done wrong. God, this time is different. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. Jesus says, he's the Lord he who out of me just Not the guy that did the right thing. Not the guy that had all of his life together. Not the guy that followed all that was the tax collector walked out of the temple justified. Why? Because it wasn't about his works. It was about God. You see, the reason why you can't pry the blessings out of God's hands is because you could never do enough good works to do that. You can't. You, You can't make God bless you because even your good works are tainted. Isaiah says, That even our good works, even the good things that we do, are like filthy rags before God. So, how do we walk away justified? We need someone else's righteousness. We need justice to be done on our behalf. This is where this story points us so clearly to Jesus. Because Jesus was righteous. Jesus could stand before God. Jesus never sin, whether in thought, in word, in deed, or even it out. The scales are even. Go do better. No. He gives us his righteous right. So when you stand before God, you don't stand before God as somebody who has just been forgiven. You are not morally neutral to God. When you stand before God, he sees the complete and total righteousness. Righteousness. At you, if you are trusting in Him, He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see all the things that you've done. He sees Jesus. Jesus. He sees Jesus' goodness, Jesus' kindness, Jesus' selflessness, Jesus' faithfulness, not goodness. Church, that to us is good news because we are so prone to want to trust in our we're so tr- prone to trust in what we think we should be doing. Jesus says, no, I'm going to give you a new life. And this new life isn't something you can earn. It's not something you can merit. It's something that's a gift. That's how much he us. That's the greatest thing he can give us. He has already, for those of us who are Christians, given us his best. We don't have to try to pry his blessings out of his hand. We can trust that if he's already given us the best that he has to offer, that he will continue to love and care for us. When he doesn't give us exactly what we want, when we don't make that sale, when we don't get that relationship, when we struggle to get pregnant, when we Are struggling with our school when we are struggling with everything that we have, our lives are different. Not because God just makes those struggles go away. Things are different if we're able to trust in the continuing goodness of Jesus. Because He's already given us all that we have. He's already given us His righteousness so that we stand before God, beloved sons and daughters way in bringing justice.